Thank you so much for worshiping with us this morning. I, I trust that you brought the word with you. So we go to Acts chapter 2. And we're going to be looking at verse 42 down through 47. And I believe we'll have that up on the screen for you. But, uh, you know, I want to begin before we look at the passage there. I want to begin ask by asking a question. You know, what would you do if you were to hear truth today? You know, not not, you know, a wise quip or quote, you know, some neat anecdote for life. I mean, I mean, real truth that comes from the very mouth of God. I mean, what if you were to discover this morning, you know, how to maintain that spiritual zest that you had the first time that you encountered your savior, Jesus Christ, and you were discover a truth that would allow you to to maintain that energy level that you had the very first time that you began to walk with the Lord. I mean, it's easy, you know, to be excited and happy, you know, the very first day of work. It's easy to be excited and happy maybe the first few days of classes because you're starting college for the very first time. You're excited to get your homework done. It's easy to be excited about mowing the lawn when you have a brand new lawnmower. But what happens down the road when the energy is gone, the happy feelings are no more, there's no more win for yourselves. And you're going through the tedium and the tediousness of living life day in and day out. How do you maintain spiritual zest. I I love Acts chapter 2, the last part of chapter 2, because really this passage is dealing with that. It's showing us kind of what the church looks like in maintenance mode. And we're going to read this together, but as we read, I want to remind you that, yes, there are verses there and there are numbers in front of the sentences and words, but that was added later on, you know, so that we can find our place and look at the same place together. But really, it is a story that is being told, and the story that is being told is about what the church looks like in those beginning days, and it was after Jesus, it was after the crucifixion, it was after the resurrection, the ascension of Christ, and all kinds of things were happening, But now life was setting in, real life was setting in, and they were having to deal with the challenge, excuse me, with the challenge of what does it look like when we are in maintenance mode? How, How do we, you know, how do we maintain that spiritual zest? And this passage kind of gives us an idea. So I want to invite you to listen with some interest today to Acts chapter two, being at verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So again, this is a story. You know, allow this kind of this real, you know, to roll in your mind as you're, you're thinking, you're watching what's happening to this new church. They, they, are, they are committed to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. I'm thinking about that. You know, I'm processing that. Wow. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved. Father, I thank you for the word today. I thank you, Father, for anointing the word and Lord just given us direction this morning as we consider what it means to be in maintenance mode. And that sounds a little dull, but it's not. It's really quite exciting to, to discover, you know, what it was the church was doing and how they, 
they dealt with carrying it on. And so, Father, I pray that you would just be with our church now as we begin to, Lord, move into a very exciting time of Mission Church of the Nazarene. But, Lord, along the way, we still need to maintain our spiritual, our spiritual zest. And so, Father, I pray that we would listen to your word this morning and allow your word to shape us, not just to be another sermon that has a few points and an outline, but, Lord, that it would be a word that is very electric, a word that, that comes alive in us, and it actually shapes us in how we're living our life today. And so, Father, I thank you for the word. I thank you for speaking to our hearts. We ask all these things in Jesus Christ's glorious name and all God's people said, amen. By the way, these young people over here, don't they look good this morning? They look great seeing them over here. All are teenagers and college age and post-college. And and I'm just saying, I'm just excited. I, I get to turn my head. I look and I see all these young faces and that just kind of encourages me. I am thrilled that you're in service this morning. Thank you for being in service, all of our young people. So we go to the passage today. Again, we're just learning from the early church and we look at verse 42 and it begins by saying that they were devoted. It says that. Read that there. It says they were devoted, which means they they were putting effort out. It means there was energy that was expended and it was expended on specific things, specific spiritual disciplines so that their life might remain in an, a, a place of of interest and energy for the cause of Christ or for the message of Jesus Christ. And so it's interesting. It begins that way by saying to us that there must be some kind of level of devotion and some kind of, you know, commitment to the idea that we must spend energy and we must commit time to the idea of these spiritual disciplines, which which are there for us. And the passage mentions them to us, like, for example, in, in learning and in digging down into the word and studying the word. As we're doing this morning, we're looking at the word and we're digging into it and we're saying, OK, the word is going to shape my life. It's going to it's going to form me into the person that God desires me to be so that I might be more like Christ. Amen. And so there's this learning process that begins. And then it, and then it says, notice it alludes to then they are at becoming the body of Christ, meaning that they fellowship together. I think that's the word we see there in the NIV is that they are in fellowship. And we could look at the Greek there. It would just affirm that it would lift that up and wrap the idea and the concept that we we are together as the body of Christ as we're together this morning and that we learn to to love each other. I, I love the fact that I had a chance to go to. Van uh, and Sandy's house and they had some of the other church members, some of you guys this morning were at their house and we had some dessert and we did all kinds of stuff and we laughed together and said some things I probably can't repeat this morning. Uh, but man, I'm telling you, we had a fantastic time becoming a part of the fellowship of the body of Christ. That's what this passage shows us. So they're becoming the body. They're remembering the death of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Christ. And we're, we remember the death, of course, and the, the, the blood that was spilt for us and the body that was broken. But also there's the resurrection. And I don't want to miss the power of that. I don't want to miss the power of the resurrection that Jesus took away the sting of death. And so we are reminded of that. And we take the Eucharist every Sunday because we're becoming a part of the fellowship. We're becoming more part of the body as we participate in the Eucharist. We see the example here in the early church. They're doing this regularly. And then and then they're talking with God. Look at the passage there. They're talking with God. And I love that, that they're in communication with the Father. And in fact, we're speaking about listening to his voice this morning. And we're talking with God and we talk in prayer. 
And it's in prayer that the Creator speaks to us and we speak to the Creator. And This is why I have a vision that we become a praying church. And as time passes, we're praying more and more and more. And we get excited about that church because God wants to talk to His creation. He wants to speak to us. And so the passage gives us this very foundation as a summary of how do we maintain? I mean, how do we maintain spiritual zest when the wind stops blowing and there's no wind for ourselves? And the sea is flat. And it seems like there is no energy behind it all. We come back to the spiritual disciplines. That's what what this early church shows us. The the spiritual disciplines. And in verse 42, so there's devotion. Then the second thing, look at the second thing in verse 43. It says what? We read there, wonders and signs. Wonders and signs. And we know that God is supernatural, that God can supernaturally do a miracle. I've, I, I've been a witness of a miracle. I know God can perform miracles. But also, see, these wonders and signs is that God is working in supernatural ways. In supernatural ways, he is aligning things. He's bringing things together in supernatural ways. It's like the friend that tells a friend about a friend, and that friend is someone that you know, and they tell you about the doctor who is the only doctor in the whole metropolitan area that can help you with what your need is. And you stand back and you go, wow, man, that must have been God. It must have been God, because God, he orchestrates in sovereignty and supernatural ways that God is bringing things together. I, I remember when I was uh, thinking about getting married, I was in college, and and I, I began to, you know, create in my mind's eye. I knew God had called me to be a preacher when I was 15 years old. And in my mind's eye, I began to think, oh, my wife needs to be this and this and this. I had this, you know, kind of informal list and criteria of, of what I was looking for in a wife. And then I run smack dab into my wife, Heidi. And that whole list went out the window. Because, you see, God did not give me who I wanted, but God gave me who I needed. <laughs> and I praise the Lord that Heidi is the perfect wife for me. And I, I, I see God working in supernatural ways again and again and again. And you share with me how God is working in supernatural ways and He's building the church and He's moving in your life. And it's, it's exciting to see God work in those supernatural ways. And we see that in wonders and signs. Certainly God is a miracle-working God. Then we go to verse 44, look at verse 44, and and we get the idea that they were together. Now, together could be that we are all in one place. I mean, bodily, we we are present, right? We are present this morning. But also, more explicitly, it could mean that we are together in, in, in mind, that we are together in, in thought and intent, and that we have this common, you know, this common idea of what it means to be a part of the body of Christ, and, and we envision what life is to be like as we are, are serving God together. And so we are together in common practice. And we're together in, in the worship that we bring to the Lord, and we're, we're together for the glory of the kingdom of God. Amen. So we can be together, church, even more than just in bodily form. And and then what we see next, this is key now, follow me. What we see next is we see a process, looking at the text now, we see a process by which the Spirit of God is developing the spirit of generosity among us, or generosity there in that early church. Which is really, it's the unity that we see in the early church. One, one passage would talk about being in accord or being one accord. And really, 
As we see generosity, it's unity because unity is generosity. I mean, bear with me because unity we find in Acts here, it's not stewardship. Follow me now, young people. It's not stewardship. We talk about unity. It's not stewardship. It's, it's lordship. It's that Lord has, that Jesus has become Lord of our life. And the people that we, we look at here this morning, there are people, the early church, that have made Jesus Christ Lord of absolutely every part of their life. And as they look at their life, I mean, behind the scenes, in front of the scenes, and beside the scenes, in every area of life, it's that Jesus Christ has become Lord of their lives. And so generosity becomes a part of that in their unity. And in their unity, there's generosity you see the connection and the generosity? We have unity because Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. I like what Tony Evans once said, another preacher. He said, hold on to things loosely. If not, it hurts when Jesus pries your fingers open. Amen. Can I take some time and make something painfully clear this morning? I mean, really, I mean, really painfully clear. Can, can I talk about something? Um, how many remember the idea of tithing? <laughs> How many remember that concept of tithing that we do not let the right hand, we do not let the right hand know what the left hand is doing? And the concept of tithing is a concept that we, we bring 10% before the Lord and really in the Old Testament it's the first fruits, it's before our bills. It's before our family. It's before everything else. We bring 10% to the Lord. It's the part that we give to God that we do not control. We're not directing where that money goes. You see, that's the tithing. That's the tithing aspect. And you say, well, I give to missions or I give to our team. Well, that's an offering. You see, offerings are supposed to be above and beyond the tithes. The tithing we do not control. It goes, it goes just in, you know, in, in, into the offering. And then we trust God that he will use that for his glory. And it's the, the, that's the tithe. And then the offering is above and beyond that if we're going to direct where the money goes. And so it's important that we dynamically you know, understand that concept in regards to this conversation about about generosity. And the reason why is because most people who struggle with tithing struggle with the concept of generosity. Generosity is not about tithing, but tithing happens as a result of the spirit of generosity. Are you following me? How the Lord, it becomes this thing in our life that it's not this stewardship categorically. Okay, I'm checking the box off. Okay, I'm doing this and I'm doing. No, it's about that Jesus Christ is Lord of your life and he's Lord of every part of your life. And in this early church, we see it's not about stewardship, it's about lordship. And we look at the rest of the passage, the history of the passage of what's unfolding in this new church. And it gets exciting because God is moving. In fact, look at verse 45. Go to verse 45 with me today. We read there that they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord, what? The Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved because of the ministry of generosity. And generosity was the very extension of God meeting people's needs and God blessing the kingdom as they were praying and living a life that glorified their Father in heaven who is their creator. Amen. God blesses those who are generous. In fact, this leads us to do two dynamics. And the first dynamic is that they discovered that the word or the gospel brings 
It brings blessing in life. That, that's the concept. It's called the law of return. That's what the scripture teaches us. The law of return. In fact, we go to the book of Malachi and it speaks about the fact that if, if you give to God what belongs to him, that's that 10%, that he will pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room to store it. Why? Because you're being generous with what it is that God has given you already. Amen. And so in the spirit of unity, as we become united, there, there is this, there is this blessing that follows. In fact, the second dynamic is that, that generosity is, is really an extension of our faith. Generosity is an extension of our faith. Let's say that together out loud. Generosity is an extension of our faith. I like the response of one uh, uh, famous philanthropist, a Christian philanthropist who gave a lot of money away. Somebody came up to him and said, how is it that you have so much still when you give away so much? And his response, I love it. His response was, well, I just keep shoveling it in and God or I just keep shoveling it out. But God keeps shoveling it in. The thing is, God has a bigger shovel than I have. <laughs> Amen. And, and, and so in generosity, we find that there is unlimited resource and there's blessing that generosity is an extension of our faith, the individual's faith. We, we see in generosity is the provision of God, and that God is provider and it's in his provision that blessing pours into our life more than we could ever imagine. Why? Because we are in unity. Church, we are in unity, and in, there's unity, there's generosity as we, we are making God Lord of our life. You see, it, it might be hard to take, but I think what this passage shows us is the, the, opposite, the opposite of generosity is selfishness. And you say, well, pastor, why is this a $6,000 sermon? <laughs> why is this a $6,000 sermon? Well, if you were to take a a couple, two individuals, husband and wife, and let's say each of those individuals uh, made $1,500 every two-week period. So together, the husband and wife would make $3,000 in two weeks. That means in a month, they would make about $6,000. And so you know that tithe for that couple, tithe for that couple would be at least $6,000 a year. I guess the question that that begs for us is what is the price tag of your soul? I mean, that's bold. I understand that. But what is the price tag uh, uh, of your soul? The healthy church, the healthy family, the healthy individual. You see, they're generous with all they have. The, the, the book of Acts here in chapter two, this this was the healthy church. And, and it's not just throwing out this concept as, as, as an idea, man, or it's not just thrown out as a dynamic for good measure. This was the measure. This was the measure of what it means to be united and to be generous is that we are, are responsive to God in our generosity. In fact, in Second Peter 3.11, it asks, what sort of people ought you to be? Listen to this. What sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and service? Asking the question, what does the, the believer's life look like? I mean, what does the Christian life? I mean, when it's lived out day to day, when the rubber hits the road, what does that life look like? If we are saying Christ is Lord of my life and he's Lord of every area of my life, what does it look like? What does that life look like when we are living like a believer just like that? In fact, we go to the parable of the seed in Luke chapter eight. Remember, it points to the reality of worries and riches and, and pleasures can choke out good intentions. In fact, I want to read it for you. We read the seed which fell among the thorns 
These are the ones who have heard. And as they go their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures and life. And it brings no fruit to maturity. Why? Because of all the pleasures and all the riches and all the things, all these other things, you see, is choking out what it is that God is trying to do and form and shape in our life. So we recognize that there's not only, okay, what does life look like as a believer? If we are following Jesus Christ, then what we see in this passage, this early church, is that it is a life of generosity. And then I have to go to Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, that says, or reads, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you, as we're seeking first God's kingdom. So we become generous. I guess what I'm saying here is the essence. We become generous... Because we're putting God first. We become generous in what we have because God is first in life. And so the passage shows us, at least in this early church, that it is about lordship, not stewardship. It is about lordship, that Jesus Christ is Lord of our life. And he sees that he's Lord of our life because because we're committed to this this area of generosity. I like this one quote, and I want to just kind of wrap this up with this quote. I like this one quote that I came across that really kind of puts it all together in a nutshell. God judges what we give. This is it. God judges what we give by what we keep. God judges what we give by what we keep. And we're being broken today. And we're being poured out today. And we're being responsive to God as we're going to have this response time. But I can't help but think that maybe that first area that God would want us to respond in is the area of generosity. As he calls us to do that. Challenges us to do that. And see if he'll not bless us as we're obedient in the area of, of generosity. It's about lordship. It's about lordship, not stewardship. 